Hello and welcome to the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast. If travel be the food of love, let me play you a solo. Regular listeners will know that I hail from the Cheshire town of Crewe. You may have picked up my distinctive twang or noticed my use of Crewe dialect words like Ponebosset, Mism and Secretary. And I'm exploring a fascinating aspect of my hometown this week. It's twinned relationship with Macon Burgundy. And this edition is brought to you in association with the Crew Twinning Committee, cherishing memories of Macon's visit in 2015 and proudly believing that you've got to be in it to twin it. The first time I knew I wanted to be a travel journalist was as an eight-year-old when I was taken to see the huge sign at the edge of town. Crew, twinned with Macon Burgundy. I'll never forget that magical, inspiring day. Within a week, I had become the only non-OAP member of Crew's Twin Towns Committee, eager to learn more about Macon. Over the years, I rose to the rank of committee chairman fighting off coups, plots, deselection bids and one instance of body shaming. I maintain the position to this day. Growing up in sleepy parochial crew, I spent a lot of time wondering what it would be like to one day sample the exotic delights of Macon for myself. I'm standing on Crewe High Street outside the accordion shop. But when I was growing up, it was home to Palmerston's, the Foot People, a family business which sold shoes to the populace for more than 70 years. Due to a misprint in the original plans, Palmerston had all of its mirrors at head height rather than floor level. This meant that in order to see what their shoes looked like, customers would put them on their hands or simply imagine them in place. The shop was also famous for being the employer of Jerome Monteith, the last living descendant of King Solomon. Monteith liked to invoke the wisdom of Solomon. If a customer wasn't sure about a purchase, he would ask if they were happy to see the shoes ripped in half. More than 900 shoes were destroyed in this way, and five months after he started work, Palmerston's closed. The mirrors were purchased by Hargreaves Hats and installed at floor level in tribute to Crew's fallen shoe shop. The relationship between Crew and Macon dates back to 1946 when Crew's second best butcher, Terry Gom, had a dream about a mighty city betwixt two mountains. Possessed by his vision, Gom sold his shop and took all his unsold meat with him on a quest to find this captivating city. He arrived in Macon three weeks later, four stone heavier. Situated as it is in the middle of an area of flatland, Gom realised immediately that Macon was not the city in his dream. But his meat was on the turn, so he decided to stay. He founded Macon's second best butchers, the second second best butchers of his career, and eventually promoted himself to the position of mayor. In 1956, nostalgic memories of the Cheshire town he had left behind prompted Gom 
now known to locals as the meat immigrant, to write to Crewe, proposing a formal twinned relationship with Macon. He wrote to the only address in Crewe he knew, his own. That proposal letter was redirected back to him in Macon, and he accepted. The relationship established, Gom retired to compose his four-volume work, The Pugnopticon, or History of Fists, a comprehensive description and analysis of every pub fight in Crewe between 1927 and 1946. This edition of the Mike Browse Solo Travel Podcast is brought to you in association with Crewe Twinning Committee. Looking forward to visiting Macon as soon as we're invited. The past 60 years have seen the relationship between Crewe and Macon flourish. Residents of both towns fondly remember the annual Sherrard's tournament, the Sherrard's drug cheat controversy, the introduction of Sherrard's testing, and the arrest of the entire governing board of CAMWAC, the Crewe and Macon World Association of Sherrard's. On receipt of a final report recommending its dissolution, Chief Executive Gerd Reiner said he was pleased that the report had identified a culture of silence within the organisation. Macon is also a great wine-producing region, and every year 30 cases of finest Burgundy are sent to Crewe as a gesture of goodwill. Each year's gift is immediately destroyed by the inhabitants of Crewe, which has been a dry town since the hangover from the first consignment in 1947. As chairman of the Crew Twinning Committee, I meet many people who assume town twinning has something to do with the county council, or maybe tectonic plates. In fact, twin towns date back to ancient times, when twin brothers Romulus and Remus established neighbouring settlements, Conxanctrichmian and Olb. The two towns immediately entered into a bitter war of attrition, at the end of which only Romulus was left alive. Legend has it, that Romulus then set about founding the city we know today as Berlin. In the post-war era, mayors around the globe realised the potential of town twinning to generate goodwill, cultural exchange and champagne receptions. Twinning was a boom business, but not every town was so lucky. Burnley has been trying for 71 years to find a twin, to no avail. The friendless town, as it became known, often fell victim to scams from hoax Nigerian towns, offering twinning arrangements in return for multi-million pound bin collection schemes. In an act of desperation, in 2012, the mayor of Burnley declared that the town was to be twinned with itself. The arrangement got off to a bad start, with the twinned mayor plunged into a spiral of introspective self-rivalry, constantly second-guessing his own motives and taking expenses-paid trips to his own office. The arrangement came to an end after two weeks when he died of champagne poisoning. This episode of the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast is sponsored by the Crew Twinning Committee. Wondering when Macon got so high and mighty. Brexit has already resulted in the untwinning of 60 English towns, as their European counterparts cast them adrift ahead of Britain's departure from the EU. 
The residents of these orphan towns have resorted to stalking the towns who spurned them, mass calling their inhabitants in the middle of the night and turning up at their city limits drunk and abusive. I'm sure we all remember the distressing case last month when Bologna was forced to serve Reading with a restraining order. I'm standing in St Hildegard's crew's oldest place of worship. Local guidebooks mark St Hildegard's out as a stunning example of the ironic school of architecture which flourished in the church during the late 15th century. Every cornice and apex of the building seems somehow archly self-aware. Even the crucified Christ above the altar appears to be raising his fingers in a pair of air quotes. As a child, I was a frequent visitor to St Hildegard's, my young soul soothed by the sound of the church's mighty organ. When commissioning this extraordinary instrument, the vicar of the time insisted that its physical form reflect the Christian notion of the one true God. This is why the organ has just one key, an enormous B-flat. Over the years, generations of brides have begged the vicar to install at least enough keys to play Here Comes the Bride, but all have found themselves processing up the aisle to the sombre reverberations of a low B-flat. Their plea falling on deaf ears just like my prayers that I might one day be invited to Macon. As I leave St Hildegard's, I look back at the Lady Chapel and its statue of St Mary the Ironic, whose laconic expression even now seems to be saying, whatever. I'm now standing in the town's other point of interest, England's biggest bus shelter. The shelter took three years to construct and is over 74 metres in length. Once the structure was complete, it took 28 teenagers working in shifts to graffiti it, emblazing its massive length with 3,807 illegible tags, more than 5,000 allegations of sexual impropriety and 11,727 crudely drawn fallacies. This shelter is also remarkable in that it's the venue for the world's longest wait for a bus. Lewis Michael came here looking to board the 78, but unfortunately stood at the wrong end of the shelter. By the time he had realised his mistake, the bus had departed. Lewis began to walk the length of the shelter to catch the next service, but missed it by 30 seconds. Heading back to the other end of the shelter, he also missed the next service. That was 67 days ago, and Lewis has yet to board his bus. Speaking of which, here's mine now! Here I am, back in front of the sign at the edge of town. It's in a pretty sorry state these days, and now reads... Rue... End with Mako. Looking up at it, I'm reminded that relationships, whether they be between people, families or, say, towns, are in need of constant upkeep from both sides in order to stop them curdling into vengeful hatred.
I hope you've enjoyed this look around crew, the town that never forgets. This episode of the Mike Prowse Solo Travel Podcast was brought to you by the Crew Twinning Committee. We wouldn't go to Macon if you begged us. Thank you.